Are you ready to revolutionize the way you enjoy food and essentials at home? Introducing DashPass from DoorDash, your ultimate ticket to convenience and savings. With DashPass, you gain exclusive access to unlimited $0 delivery fees on eligible orders, along with members-only deals and discounts that will leave your wallet smiling. Whether you're craving the flavors of your favorite restaurants, need groceries from across town, or anything in between, DashPass ensures that everything you need is just a few clicks away, delivered right to your door. With DashPass, not only do you enjoy $0 delivery fees, but you'll also benefit from lower service fees on eligible orders, making it the most affordable way to satisfy your cravings and stock up on essentials from your local favorites. What I really love is how quickly DashPass pays for itself. On average, it takes just two orders, which makes it a no-brainer investment for your budget. And as if that weren't enough, DashPass grants you special access to exclusive promotions and menu items, adding an extra layer of excitement to your DoorDash experience. You get all this for only $9.99 a month, which is a small price to pay for unlimited convenience and savings. My family and I have had DoorDash for the past year or so, and while I make most meals at home, I don't know that I could mom without it. I used it twice just this past week while we were dealing with a stomach bug at home, and it was so nice to have and to be able to focus on getting better and not running all over town to pick everything up for everyone. Don't wait. Sign up for DashPass now and unlock a world of possibilities, all from the comfort of your home. DashPass from DoorDash, delivering joy, convenience, and savings straight to your doorstep. Get more from delivery for less with DashPass. $0 delivery fees and reduced service fees on eligible DoorDash orders. Sign up for DashPass today and get your first 30 days free if you're a new member. Subject to change. Terms apply. Open the door to $0 delivery fees and savings you can't get anywhere else. Sign up for DashPass today, only on DoorDash, and get your first 30 days free if you're a new member. Subject to change, terms apply. guys and welcome to the moms of murder podcast a true crime podcast featuring myself mandy and my dear friend melissa hi melissa hi mandy how are you ready for christmas how are you i mean yeah i guess that's yeah i'm ready for christmas no i'm not i'm not are, wait, are you ready ready for christmas no or, no, or no, just no, no, a no. day <laughs> <laughs> i am not ready ready for christmas i have not done all of my christmas shopping I've barely done any, actually, but um, I'm always that person who waits until the last minute, so it's okay. I'm just ready for all of it to be done and the holiday to be here and it to be Christmas. Okay. I can get on board with that. That yeah. that sounds good. I've bought one gift, and so I'm a little behind, um, but eventually I'll catch up in a full-blown panic five days before, so I'm there. That's like where I live. I thrive in the panic at the very end. That's my entire life. Yeah. Yeah, that's me too. (laughs) Would not suggest it, but it works. So before we get started this week, just a reminder, we have an episode this week that you're listening to. Good job. Where do you go? You're listening to us this week. And we have one next week on the 18th, and then we will be off on December 25th and January 1st, and we will be back on January 8th. So just take a break from us. Miss us a little bit. You'll enjoy it. Then it'll be so much greater when you hear us on January the 8th. Right, Absence Mandy? makes the heart grow fonder. 
Sure. Yes. <laughs> there you go. Um, and then if you miss us too much, you can go on patreon.com slash moms and murder podcast. We have some of our uh, bonus episodes on there. Actually, all of our bonus episodes on there. And we will have one we are recording with Kim from People Are Wild. I think we're recording it on the 16th. I don't know why I try and like remember dates on the fly. Um, but that will be up before the end of the month. And uh, we're super, super excited about that. We are talking about the uh, death of Brittany Murphy. And she is a an ER nurse. And so she knows all of the medical schmedical stuff. And I know like the Lifetime movie. And Mandy knows probably the scary movies that Brittany Murphy was in. So yeah. <laughs> all, to- <laughs> all together, it should make a really great episode. So make sure you check that out. Perfect. So this week's story was actually suggested to us by a listener who has a very close connection to this case. And I had the opportunity to have a phone call with this person for a few minutes and learn a little bit about the key players in the story. This person, I'm calling them this person because they do wish to remain anonymous. But can we come up with a name? We can make up a name. Sure. Let's make up a name. Yeah. What should we call them? (laughs) Okay, let's name this person Dolly. That's just a fun name you don't hear all the time. And I just saw something with Dolly Parton the other day, and she's so lovely and funny. Can we call this person Dolly? Boy or girl, it's just Dolly. Yes, so thank you, Dolly. You know who you are, Dolly. Dolly. This week's case takes place in Loves Park, Illinois, where a company called Al Zulo's Remodeling was quickly becoming a well-known and prosperous business. Before we get into the story, we're going to tell you a little bit about Loves Park and this week's segment of We Googled This City. And Melissa... I apologize in advance because Dolly told me that there was not much to know about Love's Park. So what do you got for us? Not much. Dolly would be correct. I've got very, very little, but the population, because you know I start there with the big guns that nobody cares about, uh, the population of Love's Park is 24,000 as of the 2010 census. So I actually thought I would find more information. I was way wrong. Yeah, that doesn't Um, seem like a super small number. Right? I was like, you've got something. But really, I couldn't find a whole lot. It's a very small town, as I said. And But I did find out that the town next door where some of the story takes place or maybe somebody drove through it every once in a while is called Rockford, Illinois. And I feel like most people, at least in the States, maybe have heard of Rockford, Illinois. That's one that I'm not – I don't know. I know Chicago, but, you know, outside of that, I don't know a lot in Illinois, but – I was like, wow, Rockford, heard of it. Let's go with that one. So Rockford was originally known as Midway Village as it was located between Chicago and Galena. I guess Galena was a mining town and it got the name Rockford because of its stretch over the Rockford River or the Rock River where there was a natural ford. So that is a very literal name to say, hey, there's a ford there. (laughs) Hey, there's the Rock River. Let's call this place Rockford. Boom, done. Next thing. So Michelle Williams was born in Rockford, Illinois on July 24th, 1980. And no, it's not that Michelle Williams from Dawson's Creek. It's the other Michelle Williams. Not Beyonce. Not Kelly Rowland. Michelle Williams from Destiny's Child that nobody remembers as a person. Oh, I mean, shoot. Uh, oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> Too far, Melissa. People know she's a person. She's a lovely person. But maybe you don't recognize her because of the whole Beyonce thing. She's not part of the Illuminati. So, you know. Aww. Yeah, but she's from Rockford, Illinois. I thought that was kind of cool. Freaking Beyonce's. <laughs> Whoa. Don't go after the beehive, Mandy. We can't, we can't afford to do that. <laughs> 
they will come for us. So help me if the Twitter page just has a bunch of beehive people going after us. I'm going to be so upset with you and I'm going to direct <laughs> them all to come after you. So the last real fact I have is uh, during the early to late 1940s, the Rockford Peaches of the All-American Girls Professional Baseball League were one of the very first all-female baseball teams in the world. The Rockford Peaches were where the movie A League of Their Own was actually based on. And there's not a whole lot of information I have for you guys, but don't be sad. I'll have more next week. After all, there's no crying in We Googled This City. Manny, <laughs> please know my reference there. I'm going to be so upset if you don't. <laughs> it took me like 30 minutes to come up with a joke. <laughs> I'm proud of you. Thank you so much. Don't be. Don't encourage this. This is really too- <laughs> This is what the people come for. <laughs> I think the people fast forward. <laughs> this is what the 30 second button is for. <laughs> okay. So Mandy, so get in the story. So on to our story for this week. Al Zulo Remodeling was a popular residential and commercial remodeling and improvement business in Loves Park. The business was run by Marianne Clibbery and George Hansen. Marianne began working as the model in print advertising for the company. So she was in all the little flyers and she even did some commercials where she was kind of doing the whole how did they describe it we watched the forensic files on this and they kind of described her as like the vanna white of kitchen cabinets where she would just be in these ads and and kind of show them off that's and, a very specific description of a person yeah <laughs> hey vanna that white is not my that. description of a person no that it's is great forensic files description i can totally picture it though it's it's very great job with your words there forensic files yeah, exactly. Marianne quickly moved up in the company and became a secretary. And then she went on to handle the business finances and other uh, businessy operations. She was like the Melissa of the Moms and Murder podcast. She sounded like a very lovely lady. Marianne was a kind person. She had a very warm personality. Um, she was very good with people, very well-spoken, and also very well-known in the community there in Loves Park. She was actually a member of the Chamber of Commerce, so that kind of speaks to her involvement in her community and everything that she was trying to do. She was very hardworking and loved her job at Al Zulo Remodeling, and she put in very long hours at work. She would often be the first in the office and then one of the last people to leave at the end of the day. She was the mother of five grown children that she had very close relationships with, And uh, sadly, she had been widowed, but she had found love again in a man named Gene. Marianne was also very well known for her generosity and would often give employees cash advances from her own bank account if they needed it. So George was kind of her opposite in this whole in this whole thing. When it came to the business, he handled the buying of products, the maintenance and the managing of the construction crew. He was a little bit more rough around the edges and kind of had a quicker temper than Marianne, who was very, as we said, soft-spoken and kind of gentle. But George did have children from his first marriage, and he had gotten divorced, but then later was remarried. So the owner of this business, whose name was Al Zulo, passed away in 1999, leaving ownership of the business to Marianne and George in a 50-50 split. He gave the company to the two of them as more of a gift because, you know, they didn't have to buy the company from him or anything, but he left it to them as a gift because he recognized and appreciated all the years of loyalty that they had given to him and all the hard work they had done to develop this business. So George and Marianne became somewhat of a celebrity business couple in the early 2000s, and they developed this catchphrase, which was, one call does it all. And a lot of people from the area who have been living in the area for a long time would probably still remember that catchphrase because it was very popular. They were almost like a household name, which 
is very cool for a business. I guess that's what everybody strives to do. I thought for like a home remodeling business. Yeah. I, I mean, you know, not everybody's remodeling their homes, but they had managed to still make a, a name for themselves in the in the city like this. Yeah. It reminds me whenever I read One Call Does It All, it reminds me of Better Call Saul. Yes. Oh, my gosh. I totally thought of that. Yes, I did. And I thought of you when I thought of that. And (laughs) People always think of me with their TV revelations. And I feel like I should be embarrassed, but I'm totally not. I'm very flattered. Thank you. (laughs) So this business continued to thrive. But as Marianne was getting older, she started getting a little more tired. And in 2004, when she was 69 years old, She told George that she was thinking about retiring. She was kind of ready to hang her hat up, stop doing these long hours in the office, and kind of just enjoy the rest of her life. Then on December 22nd, 2004, Marianne stayed in the office late to work on the books and the accounting for the business. And as she was getting ready to lock up and leave for the night, she was brutally attacked. George and another employee arrived at work the next morning and saw Marianne laying face down on the floor in the hallway of the building, surrounded by a pool of blood. George dialed 911, and when paramedics arrived, Marianne was pronounced dead at the scene. It was clear that there was blunt force trauma to her head, but something puzzling stood out about the whole crime scene, and that was that there was fresh blood on top of already coagulated blood, which led the CSI technicians to believe that Marianne had actually been attacked twice with at least 15 minutes in between the two altercations. So there was no murder weapon located at the scene, and Marianne's purse was missing. Marianne's boyfriend, Gene, was devastated over this news that she had been killed. He said that she was really his eyes because he was visually impaired and that she was everything to him. He said that they weren't just two old people sitting around and watching the clock go around. They really had things to do, and they were very active and um. Yeah, when we watched this, we obviously both felt really terrible for him because he lost this one person in his life, you know, that cared about him, took care of him, and really was, was like we said, everything to him. He was the sweetest, like... He was. He, like, just... I don't know. I have a really soft spot for like elderly people. And he was so genuine and sincere. And like, I just felt so bad for him because, you know, I don't know. I just feel like at the end of your life and you find this person, you know, and they both had been through loss, you know, of right. their, you know, their first husband and wife. And it was just so sad to me, like that he had and to they, go through that again and lose her like that in such a brutal way. Exactly. Yeah. So police believe the assailant had to have been someone that knew the layout of the business and someone that had a personal vendetta against Marianne due to the brutal nature of the attack. The idea of a robbery was considered early on, being that it was in December and it was close to Christmas. You know, things like theft and shoplifting and robbery were obviously common occurrences. But there were really no valuables missing from the office, just Marianne's purse, and there wasn't much in there. So the attack would have been way too brutal for somebody to have just broken in, stolen her purse, and been on their way, like killed her and then been on their way. So staff members are questioned by police, of course, and they all start mentioning this former employee named Kevin Doyle. And Kevin was really outspoken about his dislike for Marianne. While she seemed to get along with everyone, they, for whatever reason, seemed to kind of butt heads. And he had been recently fired, but still had a key to the office. So, of course, that's going to come up on everybody's radar immediately. So police believe that Kevin would have had a motive and the means to carry out the murder. So when he was questioned, though, he said he was at home sick watching TV at the time of the bludgeoning. This is my biggest fear. 
if anyone in my life ever goes missing, they're going to say, what were you doing? What's your alibi? And I'm going to say, at home watching Netflix. I have nothing to ever prove anything. Like, unless you can watch my log, I'm watching TV. There's, I'm not out at a party. I'm not even going to get dinner. Like, I send my husband out. I'm staying home. What do I do, Mandy? Yeah. Nobody can get hurt in my life. <laughs> <laughs> you could just tell them to talk to me, and I would confirm that you were most likely watching the watching TV at home. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> exactly. So the day after the murder, Kevin shows up to the business, and he obviously no longer works there. And he's offering to help, you know, with the grieving family and the coworkers. And he even says, you know, hey, I can help keep the business afloat while we're dealing with this tragedy, which is super nice. But it's a very strange thing to do whenever somebody has, you know, somebody you really have verbally and, you know, told everyone, hey, I don't like this person or, you know, you guys have bad blood. They die and then you're like, you know what? <laughs> bygones be bygones. Let me help you here. So and that stinks for him because, you know, you can still be trying to do the nice thing and it doesn't look great in the eyes of the police. The police have to think, okay, there's got to be something else here. So they thought he was being over-cooperative. But Marianne's boyfriend, Gene, and the employees at Al Zulo had another avenue for police to explore. As it turned out, Marianne and George weren't exactly amicable business partners. Employees had witnessed tension between the two of them and once saw George lose his temper on the showroom floor. Can you imagine like seeing two business owners going at it? Like in the middle no. of yeah, this business? No. <laughs> so the two had apparently never gotten along and they were always in conflict due to their differing personalities. Yeah. So the relative um, that I spoke with about this case said that there was definitely a conflict between Marion and George and that it really was not even a big secret. Um, George was pretty blunt about how he felt about Marianne. And he had said that he believed that Marianne had was kind of trying to sleep her way to the top of the company. Of course, this was never a proven thing. This is just what George is spreading about Marianne to his friends and family. And for whatever reason, he just did not like her and he did not like the position that she held in the company. He didn't think that she was an equal partner, you know, or should have been an equal partner the way that he was. And he really had this idea in his head that he was going to take over and run this business um, after the owner had died. And then when that wasn't the case, he developed all this animosity towards Marianne. But when George was asked about this, he denied having any problems with Marianne. And he told the police that they had gotten along just fine. He offered up this information that he had actually been concerned about her health lately and that on the night of her murder, he had actually bought her a gift card to a restaurant just to cheer her up, just as a nice gesture. But here's my thing. Can't, like, if the police are talking to you, don't you think they're going to talk to everyone else and say, hey, were there problems? And those people say, yeah, I saw them screaming at each other every day. Yeah. <laughs> well, I never understand that. Like, it's very easy to figure this out. Yeah, for sure. So George told the police that they that he and Marianne were close and that she would even do things like lending him her car or um, occasionally he would even drive her home from the office. And he just painted this picture like not only were they great business partners, but they were also very good friends and they took care of each other. And that was his image that he put to the police. Plus, he also had an alibi for that night. He told the police that he had gone out to have a drink with his wife which, of course, can be corroborated by receipts and surveillance cameras and everything. And then he had pick, picked up his daughter and taken her to some kind of lessons. This was actually conflicting to me. I actually heard that it was 
driving lessons. And then I heard it was like horse riding lessons. So I don't really know. She went to some kind of lessons to learn how to operate a vehicle of some kind. (laughs) (laughs) A mode of transportation. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) And then after that, he made an appearance at a tanning salon before going home. So I wasn't really clear if he was taking his daughter to a tanning salon or if he himself was going to a tanning salon. He was a 63-year-old man. I know that they also go to tanning salons, but Mindy, don't be ageist. I'm not trying Everyone to wants be. to get their tan on. <laughs> I always thought it was funny in Florida that we have where we used to have a lot of tanning salons. And I was like, really? We can't we can't just go outside? Like <laughs> you can literally yeah. walk to your car and get sun. This makes no sense. Then the day after the murder, a resident in the area called the police to report having seen a black garbage bag on top of the ice on the Rock River. So this is like a river. It's obviously the middle of winter. It's in the middle of December. And this river is partially frozen over. I'm sure those of you who live in the north can picture this. Living in Florida, I have a very hard time envisioning this (laughs) scenario. There was ice on the river partially, but there was also open water flowing. As I said, that there was a... Resident who reported seeing this black garbage bag and where this was at was just only about five miles away from the crime scene. And the police were originally, they were interested in this bag, but they weren't thinking that it had anything at all to do with Marianne's murder, but it actually caught their attention because just a few days before this crime took place, there was actually another crime where a, sadly, a baby had been found in a trash bag and was also tossed into this same river. So the police kind of switch gears and they're like, well, we need to really go focus our attention and check this out. And so they sent the fire department to go find out what was all about this garbage bag. So the fire department came out there and they used a ladder truck to retrieve the bag. And this was actually a very dangerous task. They There was men that had to, of course, be going out over this ice. And it was a whole big to do. But did you see um, somebody posted a video recently? I watched this video of like how to get out of an ice, like a a frozen lake if you've fallen into it. It was the craziest video I've ever seen. And it the whole time watching this and like reading about this, I was thinking about it because how terrifying – we have no reference with like frozen lakes and stuff, but how terrifying it would be to fall through. This guy in this video – and I'm going to put it in the show notes because it is the most insane thing I've ever seen in my entire life. He falls in and full-blown is like talking through this. He's like, the first thing you do is don't panic. You're going to get real calm. And it was like – 45 seconds of this man just laying in the water (laughs) with his arms out and just telling himself not to panic. I was sweating bullets. It was the most terrifying video, but it was amazing to watch. So I'm going to put it in there because I thought it was really, really cool. But that's that's what I think. If you're being called out, if I was the fire department, I'd be so mad. I'd be like, no, police, you go back. You you go do it. (laughs) (laughs) You found it. This is your job. (laughs) So what they found inside of this bag would actually bust this case wide open, and we cannot wait to tell you guys all about it, but first we are going to take a quick break for a word from this week's sponsors. Support for Moms and Murder comes from Audible, who proudly present Evil Has a Name, the untold story of the Golden State Killer investigation. Nameless, faceless, For more than 40 years, the depraved monster who preyed on Californians from 1975 to 1986 was known by many aliases, the East Area Rapist, the original Night Stalker, the Visalia Ransacker. Then, on April 24, 2018, authorities arrested 72-year-old Joseph James D'Angelo based on DNA evidence linked to the crimes. 
With the suspect now behind bars, could it be that evil finally had a name? Delivering all new details about the investigation and a stunning final act to the events of Michelle McNamara's haunting bestseller, I'll Be Gone in the Dark, forensic criminologist Paul Holes and retired FBI profiler Jim Clementi reveal the unbelievable true story behind the capture of the suspected Golden State Killer. When you're trying to catch a killer, the devil is the details. Evil has a name only on Audible. Listen now at audible.com slash evil moms or text evil moms to 500 500. That's audible.com slash evil moms or text evil moms to 500 500. We've all heard the saying when life hands you lemons, just make lemonade. But what if those lemons are rotten and there's no sugar to be found and now you're left with a cup of sour lemon juice? Things aren't always unicorns and rainbows and we sometimes need someone to talk to. BetterHelp Online Counseling is there for you. Is there something that interferes with your happiness or maybe something that's preventing you from achieving your goals? BetterHelp has you covered. BetterHelp offers licensed professional counselors who are specialized in issues such as depression, anxiety, relationships, trauma, grief, and more. You can connect with your professional counselor in a safe and private online environment. You can schedule secure video or phone sessions, plus chat and text with your therapist without ever having to leave your house. BetterHelp is secure, convenient, and professional. If you ever find you want to change counselors, you can do so at any time with no additional charge. Financial aid is also available to those who qualify. Best of all, it's a truly affordable option, and Moms and Murder listeners get 10% off your first month. Simply fill out a questionnaire to help them assess your needs and get matched with a counselor you'll love within 24 hours. Go to BetterHelp.com moms and use discount code moms for 10% off your first month. Again, for 10% off your first month, go to BetterHelp.com moms and use discount code moms. Are you ready to revolutionize the way you enjoy food and essentials at home? Introducing DashPass from DoorDash, your ultimate ticket to convenience and savings. With DashPass, you gain exclusive access to unlimited $0 delivery fees on eligible orders, along with members-only deals and discounts that will leave your wallet smiling. Whether you're craving the flavors of your favorite restaurants, need groceries from across town, or anything in between, DashPass ensures that everything you need is just a few clicks away, delivered right to your door. With DashPass, not only do you enjoy $0 delivery fees, but you'll also benefit from lower service fees on eligible orders, making it the most affordable way to satisfy your cravings and stock up on essentials from your local favorites. What I really love is how quickly DashPass pays for itself. On average, it takes just two orders, which makes it a no-brainer investment for your budget. And as if that weren't enough, DashPass grants you special access to exclusive promotions and menu items, adding an extra layer of excitement to your DoorDash experience. You get all this for only $9.99 a month, which is a small price to pay for unlimited convenience and savings. My family and I have had DoorDash for the past year or so, and while I make most meals at home, I don't know that I could mom without it. I used it twice just this past week while we were dealing with a stomach bug at home, and it was so nice to have and to be able to focus on getting better and not running all over town to pick everything up for everyone. Don't wait. Sign up for DashPass now and unlock a world of possibilities, all from the comfort of your home. DashPass from DoorDash, delivering joy, convenience, and savings straight to your doorstep. Get more from delivery for less with DashPass. $0 delivery fees and reduced service fees on eligible DoorDash orders. Sign up for DashPass today and get your first 30 days free if you're a new member. Subject to change. Terms apply. Open the door to $0 delivery fees and savings you can't get anywhere else. Sign up for DashPass today, only on DoorDash, and get your first 30 days free if you're a new member. Subject to change, terms apply. Now, back to the show. 
So after the fire department has pulled the bag from the river, officials searched through it and found a second bag containing a hammer, leather gloves, yellow sweater covered in blood, and a purse containing Marianne's ID. Dun-da-da! Like... (laughs) Yeah, that's literally yeah. <laughs> a smoking gun, but in a... That's what they're looking yeah, for, like, exactly. <laughs> that's like Detective 101. Like, I would imagine your first case they give you is like, we have this whole bag of evidence. Now figure this out. You know what I mean? Right, yeah. So the ice that the bag had landed on was only a few feet away from where there was open water. So police determined that the person who dumped this bag had actually intended for it to land in the water and float away, never to be found again. But this person has terrible aim and is an idiot, and he made a huge mistake. Employees of Al Zulo Remodeling instantly recognized this sweater. It belonged to the owner, Al Zulo himself, and it had become known as the... I don't even want to say this. The community sweater of the office. (laughs) (laughs) If you were cold at work, you wore Big Al's sweater, apparently. (laughs) (laughs) I don't get this. If you live in a place that gets cold, don't you just bring us? I bring a sweater everywhere and I live in Florida. Yeah. So so I kind of have like a, a related story. So my first job ever, I worked at an ice cream parlor and... Part of my job was to go and take inventory in the freezer. And we had like a community jacket thing. And I was always the one. Well, I was like really young when I worked there, like 15. So I was like totally way too cool to wear the sweater. So I would just go in the freezer and freeze um, the entire time. But everybody else would wear this sweater. But like it always just kind of like grossed me out to like think of wearing this same gross old sweater that my boss and like other coworkers so many wore. skin cells like your hair and <laughs> oh that's like all oh that's so much dna being mixed together all the time it makes me feel <laughs> queasy and what if people have back hair and it comes out and then it's on the sweater stop <laughs> so yeah so everyone's using the sweater so basically you know it's it, it's not definitive it's not you know the secretary's sweater it's the community sweater. (laughs) So that opens up, you know, more like who could be involved. A forensic scientist processed the evidence from the garbage bag and the bag itself was found to have three clear fingerprints and a palm print. The inside of the gloves and the collar of the sweater were swabbed for skin cells to determine who had worn them last, aka everyone in the office. How do you (laughs) tell who's worn it last and I don't understand that kind of thing with DNA. We've talked about this with I guess fingerprints. I just, yeah, but I guess I just don't know what, like, like we've talked about before, what is the life cycle of a skin cell? Like, I don't understand how long you can reasonably count on, you know what I'm saying? It's this, not like getting, like, a, it's not like getting a breathalyzer and they're like, well, your level of alcohol is, like, this high. Like, how, is it, like, they don't just say, like, well, you have the most skin cells on here, so obviously it's you because, yeah, they're going to find other other stuff. At this point, I've Googled what was Vicki Gumbelson's old face a hundred times, and I've yet to Google the life cycle of skin cells. So I feel like my priorities <laughs> might be a little off here. I love when we come to something and we're like, no, we don't know. Uh, we just don't know. Somebody's going to write us and tell us. We're depending on you. If you know the life cycle of a skin cell, let us know. Then we'll know it yeah. next time. We'll be better for it. Thank you. So all of this evidence is confirmed to have come from George Hansen. The fingerprints were matched. The skin cells were also matched to his DNA. And the blood that was found inside the right sleeve of the sweater confirmed that the killer would have been right-handed, which George was. 
So it seems like there'd be enough incriminating evidence at this point to prove their case, but police and prosecutors knew they would need more. Since the sweater was the community sweater, they felt that that was reasonable doubt and did not definitively prove that George was Marianne's killer. But on one thorough search of Marianne's office, police were about to find even more proof of George's involvement. They noticed that the inside of Marianne's coffee mug had a strange residue. When tested, it came back that it was from a prescription sleep medication that was not prescribed to Mary Ann. And so then the idea is, is somebody poisoning her? I'd love to see the inside of that mug because how do they, you know, that's that seems like a very specific clue to notice she's been hit in the head with something and they're like, you know what? This coffee cup looks weird. You know, that's, I think that's some good police work, Mandy. Yeah. Well, I think it is too, but I also think whenever you have a case like this, I feel like that's literally their job to like look Okay, over fine, Mandy. So, so it doesn't surprise me that they would like take a look at her coffee mug that was on her desk. Listen, um, I finished making a murder too the other day. I'm just very judgy on all. <laughs> no. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I have not finished that yet. I totally need to yeah, go and watch it's pretty that. good. So the police questioned the employees at El Zulu Remodeling about who would have had access to Marianne's coffee and her food. And they learned that George had been personally hand delivering Marianne's coffee each morning. So he was like going out of his way, making a point to fix her a cup of coffee and bring it to her desk each morning. So after talking to the employees more, they also learned that Marianne had been exhibiting some concerning behavior in the weeks leading up to her death. These kind of weird things where she would fall asleep at her desk, you know, in the middle of the afternoon and she was having trouble driving and seeing clearly and just generally not feeling not feeling right. So police did start to believe that she was being intentionally poisoned. The police soon learned that George had been paying his sister $25 a month to send him this sleep medication. And at that point, there's a lot of evidence against George. He doesn't, you know, he denies everything. But the police are starting to really get a lot of evidence against him. And this then, $25 so, a month thing, I don't really get, is that like to cover the cost of it? Like, is she? I guess. Yeah, I guess he was just sending her $25 a month in exchange for sending him sleeping medication. Yeah. I don't know why the sister, I mean, okay, so if you were the sister, you would have been like, why can't you go to the doctor and get your own sleeping medication? I will never give somebody my, my medication. That's, you know, it has my name on it. Thank you very much. My dad, on yeah. the other hand, will literally, if I like am at their house and say something's wrong, he's like, I've got some of, I've got an old Xanax you want. Or he's like, I've got these green pills and I think they were for <laughs> this. Would you like one? I'm like, no, man, don't, don't do this. <laughs> You're going to kill somebody accidentally. This is not legal. <laughs> no. And you know, I'm not down for that. He doesn't care. Yeah. So the police suddenly got another clue from Marianne's boyfriend, Gene. He came forward and told them that Marianne had sworn him to secrecy, but that if anything had happened to her, he was supposed to tell the police exactly what he knew. And what he knew was a lot. Evidently, Marianne had recently learned that George was embezzling funds from the company. She had learned about this because she had sent Christmas cards to clients earlier in the month, and a few of them had been returned along with notes to her informing her that they had problems. Basically, Yikes. these notes... Yeah, these notes were basically saying, like, why are you sending us Christmas cards when you haven't paid us money? So they were not interested. So Marianne, being the upstanding woman that she was, was extremely confused and, you know, 
whenever you're, this is your business and you're thinking like, this isn't right. Like, you know, this has definitely been paid for and this is all squared away. I can see how she would be like, what is happening here? So she looked into the books and did a little digging of her own and tried to make sense of this. And what she found was actually very shocking. And that was that George had been stealing money from the company and had made away with upwards of $100,000. He had been collecting payment from clients and depositing it into his personal bank account instead of in the company bank account. And then he had been marking that they had paid the vendors for these items. And really, he was just taking the money himself and the vendors were not getting paid. How do you think you're not going to get caught with this? This is my question every week, every freaking week. Like, how do you think you're not going to get caught with this? It's very easy for a vendor to be like, hey, you haven't paid us. And for somebody to check the books and say, yeah, no, we did. And then there's going to be a follow-up question. Nobody's going to be like, oh, sorry, here's a second check. No, they're going to follow up and see where that cat, where that check went. It makes no sense. You're going to be caught. It's just a matter of when. Yeah, yeah I know. It doesn't really make any sense at all. Um, So not only had George been collecting money, taking this money from clients, but he had also been charging supplies to the company and using them for his personal projects. So, of course, this is a home remodeling company. So I just imagine any number of things that George could have been doing at his own home, you know, personal projects and charging these supplies for it to the company. So essentially stealing. So because of all of this activity, the company was now on the verge of bankruptcy And Jean told the police, of course, all of this, and also that Marianne had intended to confront George on the day that she was murdered. He speculated that she would have waited until the office had cleared out so that she could discuss this matter with George in private because Marianne, being a woman of class, would never argue or cause a scene in front of her employees or definitely not customers. So when police questioned George about this, he did not deny embezzling the funds, but he told them that Marianne actually knew about it and was in on it too. Of course, this accusation outraged Gene and probably everybody else that knew Marianne. They all knew that he was lying and the police ended up proving that he was lying because they looked into her personal banking history and they were able to pretty quickly determine that she didn't have any suspicious activity in her account and all of her bank statements, um, they only reflected what her reported income was and nothing more. So she was definitely, yeah, yeah, she definitely wasn't up to anything shady. Another motive for George was that if he had gotten away with killing Marianne, he would be able to collect $150,000 in insurance and potentially he could use this money to buy the business. When the local resident had called the police the day after the murder to report seeing the black trash bag, she also told police that she had seen a vehicle with the vanity plate Zulo 15 slowly creeping around the area, and that person seemed to be looking at the bag and appearing to contemplate how they would retrieve it. So police searched this truck and found fishing lures, rope, and other items that corroborated her story. So This guy is throwing this bag out there, realizing it's not going where he wants to, driving around in a with a vanity plate and you know, fishing wire. Idiot. I mean, really, like (laughs) there, you know, you might as well just put like a a flame on top of your car and, you know, skylights and hire an airplane that says, I did it. So I don't know where the fire on the truck comes from, but just go with me there. (laughs) It was a perfect image I had in my head. I did paint a beautiful, crazy picture that makes no sense. So so, uh, George was arrested on December 23rd, 2004, while he was playing video poker at a local tavern. 
He was charged with murder and the motive was believed to be financial. The once thriving business had nobody left to run it and the current customers were facing potential liability for its debts. Customers were being threatened with liens on their homes if they did not pay the, their vendors for their time and materials, even though these customers have already paid Al Zulo remodeling. And again, George had not paid these vendors. So the bank lender and other creditors attempted to recover what Al Zulo owed them. Amcor Bank eventually filed a lawsuit in an attempt to collect over $100,000 in loans from the company. Something else I read um, in one like old news article that I found in like the archives was that um, there was when this bank filed this lawsuit to collect the the loans that were outstanding, there was I read something that they um, be, even though Marianne had been murdered and was no longer living, they were saying that they they were thinking about going after her estate to like cover these funds. And I just thought like how terrible for that family that her estate would be on the hook for this. Because I mean, technically she was like, you know, responsible for this loan out on this business. And so I can understand where the bank was coming from. Like they're trying to collect their money, you know, they're trying to recoup whatever they can. But I just like felt so bad that her family had to go through that and be put through this bank, you know, on top of everything, you know, this bank is now coming after them and they're not going, potentially they're facing not getting any of their mom's estate. Yeah. So we're going to talk about the prosecution's case and the results of the trial when we come back from a quick commercial break from this week's sponsor. We're so excited to tell you all about our next sponsor again. If you've been a listener of Moms and Murder for a while, you already know how much we love our next sponsor. But because hearing is believing, we want to play you a short clip of something they made for us. Been friends for a few years since that first playgroup date. You love your chickens Run around your zoo all day Drink my Diet Coke Wear my sweaters No matter how hot it is But hey, you stand by me So this song is a few months old now And we still smile every time we hear it If you're looking for something to get for your friends and family this holiday season What's better than a personalized, one-of-a-kind, radio-quality song from Songfinch? Personalized songs start at just $99 and are delivered within a week. So there's still time before the holidays to get a gift your loved ones will seriously never forget. And Songfinch makes the process super easy. With their easy-to-use site and step-by-step guide, you'll be on your way to an amazing gift in just minutes. Whether you have an idea in mind for the genre or tone, Songfinch can make it happen. Or if you just have some fun stories to share about your loved ones, Songfinch will create and weave lyrics together with music and create something truly magical. It was so fun to just set up our song and just kind of answer questions and go through and like think of memories and all that stuff. So it's it's a really fun experience just to even make your song. And there are over 350 plus professional musicians with Songfinch and that number is growing every day. Songfinch is great for not only the winter holidays, but for weddings, anniversaries, birthdays, and more. Give someone a gift they will never forget this year. Listeners of Moms and Murder use promo code MOMS20 for $20 off your personalized song from scratch. Listeners of Moms and Murder can use the promo code MOMS20 for $20 off your personalized song from scratch. And stay tuned to the end of the show to hear the song Partners in Crime in its entirety. And now back to the story.
When the prosecution was finally able to lay out the case in court, they said that George had been confronted by Marianne about the embezzling and given him an ultimatum. He could either pay it back or she was going to turn him into the police. George, on the other hand, chose murder instead. After a heated argument, they believe George picked up the hammer and struck Marianne in the back of the head with it. As he moved to stage the crime scene and make it look like a robbery and to gather the evidence, he realized at some point that Marianne had not been killed. He went back to her and struck her again with the hammer. This explains why there was fresher blood on top of coagulated blood found at the scene. Marianne had been struck with the hammer between 8 and 11 times. He then placed the gloves, hammer, sweater, and purse into a bag and drove it down to the river where, as we've said, he meant to throw it into open water but accidentally threw it on top of the ice. George denied any involvement with Marianne's murder. He said that when he found Marianne's body the next day, he panicked and believed that he would be blamed for it, so he removed the items that belonged to him from the office and then dialed 911. The jury quickly returned a verdict. The prosecutor actually said that they took longer to pick a jury foreman than they did to come back with a verdict in this case. Oh, wow. And they, de- yeah, they deliberated for less than three hours. George was found guilty on charges of first-degree murder and sentenced to 60 years in prison. Since he was 64 years old at the time of the crime, he will definitely spend the rest of his life in there. Investigators in this case have said that if it weren't for George's stupid mistake of throwing the bag on the ice, this case may never have been solved. Wow. And then there was a few interesting facts that I had um, learned from the relative I spoke to in this case. And I wanted to talk a little bit about those because some of these were kind of interesting in hindsight. And this is some stuff that wasn't mentioned in the forensic files and that you wouldn't know from reading news articles. Um, But this person told me that George had actually always lived way above his means. And nobody in the family knew how it was possible for him to be driving around in really fancy cars. He would have Jaguars and the like. And he was living in fancy houses on big estates. And everybody in the family thought that uh, considering what he did for a living, this, you know, lifestyle was not really supported, you know, by his income. And nobody really knew at the time that he was supporting his life with stolen money. So that's just kind of an interesting thing, you know, to hear, you know, after even the family, even before this, the family was kind of like, how are, how are you doing this buddy? You know, kind of thing. So I mentioned that George had been divorced and had gotten remarried, and George always treated his second wife very nicely, and the two of them had actually been raising their granddaughter together at the time of this crime. So his second wife's daughter had a baby out of wedlock, could not take care of the baby, and so George and his wife were raising this child, which just made me sad that he had this little baby granddaughter living under his roof and yeah I always am sad whenever somebody who like has kids because it's like you're you know you ruin so many lives in an instant Mm -hmm. whenever you do something like this you you know you take away the victim's life and you really take away your own life and then if you have little kids in your life like you're ruining their lives too it's just never just the one person that they're trying to you know take away or get rid of it's so many layers of it yeah So as I said, he appeared to be a very nice family-oriented guy on the outside, but family and friends had also known a different side of him. Um, He had a daily habit of drinking, and when he got past a certain point with his drinking, he would kind of flip a switch and turn kind of ugly and nasty. When the news did break that Marianne had been murdered, George's family pretty much all immediately assumed that he had done it, and there was actually not one person in the family who didn't suspect him or thought he was innocent, which... 
that is terrible. If everybody in your family thinks you did it as soon as they hear about something like this. Yeah, that doesn't speak too highly of what everyone thinks of you. Yeah. Yeah. So George had actually been very angry. I talked about this in the episode a little bit, but he was extremely angry that Marianne had been given 50% ownership in the company. And he did believe that he was entitled to the entire company after El Zulo passed away. And when he found out that Marianne was getting 50%, his hatred for her grew and it was never a secret. He was very open about his dislike for her. The one thing that makes me really sad in this case is that Al Zulo thinks he's doing such a nice thing and he's giving right. these two people a company, not making them buying it and saying you've both worked so hard. And then it's obviously not his fault, but his nice thing got turned into this jealousy and, you know, hatred and well, and his murder. life's work basically got flushed on the drain because yep. the company ended up, you know, disappearing after this yeah. and he didn't it didn't go on. You know, he died in 1999 and this happened in 2004. So it's like his legacy just ends right there. He, right. you know, and he thought he was giving this company to two people who were going to continue the business and take it farther. Yeah. And, that made me really you know, sad maybe, with it. Yeah, I did. I, I was too. So another interesting thing is that at the time of the murder, George was actually using a car that he had borrowed from his brother-in-law. So the family always kind of like, you know, kind of thought it was weird that he would have taken the truck with the vanity plates on it. Yeah. You know, over the bridge and everything when he had another vehicle available to him that would have had less obvious, you know, signs of who was driving it. So George has never admitted guilt in the murder. So that is our episode this week on the tragic murder of Marianne Clibbery. Very sad story. Very. So Melissa, do we have some last thing before we go? We do. We have two. Um, the first one we'll do, <laughs> I'm so excited because we're both a little punchy tonight, so this should go well. So um, the first one we'll do is, um, okay, we'll do this one first. Rachel F. in our Facebook group asked, which Gilligan's Island character would you be? And Rachel came in hot and told me that I would be a palm tree because I am so tall. So um, I'm both offended <laughs> and flattered. Thank you very much. That is my favorite. <laughs> it's so good. So Mandy. Which Gilligan's Island character would you be? Um, the really prissy one that doesn't want to be on the island. Ginger? <laughs> yes. Wait, did you not know her name? I did know okay. her name. Man, did you know this song? I knew her name because I Googled Stop it right it. before we recorded it. Stop. <laughs> <laughs> okay, but did you watch that show ever? Have you ever seen an episode? Be honest. No. In your whole life. Whole not even life. when you go to change your tires at the tire place. It's not on in the background. I don't sit there and watch TV at the tire place, Melissa. Do you do? Watch them put your tires on? This is a perfect time to zone out. That is my time. No, I go next door and go bowling. I don't stay there. <laughs> that was 110% not the answer I thought. You make it sound like every tire place has a bowling alley attached to it. Well, Mike does. I don't know about yours. No, I, I have to sit there with the rest of the people that are mad to be there and donuts have already been eaten and my kids are yelling about something and we watch Gilligan's Island like like we're supposed to. Um, no, but you know, like I've always watched old shows my entire life. Like that's my whole – my dad – I didn't. I don't think I knew sh- new shows until I was much older. I watched like shows from the nineties, 
in the 2000s because I just had no idea. We always watched Andy Griffith and Gilligan's Island was so fun. And I looked and I didn't realize there had only been three seasons of that show. I mean, that means nothing to you. But to me, I was like, I thought it had been on like forever. Did you ever watch The Brady Bunch? I did watch The Brady Bunch. Okay, thank God. I <laughs> I did. I actually loved The Brady okay. Bunch. Okay. Okay. We can do this. We can <laughs> <laughs> you can handle this. Okay. Yeah. Gilligan's Island was fun. Okay. So I would probably be – you would definitely be Ginger. I'll give you that. I would be maybe Mr. – no, I wouldn't be Mr. Howell. I wouldn't be the professor. He was very smart. Oh, gosh. I think I'd be Gilligan. Okay. <laughs> I might be Gilligan, just the idiot on the island that isn't really mad about anything. Everyone's friendly with him. Nobody really likes him, but they're just – you know. They're fine. He's there. He He's not ruining their time there, except for the professor. Smart people do hate me. Actually, yeah, I'm Gilligan. That makes sense. All right. That was was a lot of words. Okay. Okay. Let's, <laughs> let's move on. Rachel, I hope you're happy with yourself. So um, the next one, Kathy W. asked, this is specifically for Mandy, really. If you got to pick one conspiracy theorem to know the truth about, what would it be? I have so many. I want to know the truth about everything. I'm a truther. <laughs> no, truthers are the craziest. What? <laughs> okay, so then you shouldn't be surprised I would I'm say not. that. Um, so there's so many. Okay, so one that – okay, I can't – it's so hard. This is like picking your favorite child. What? I love conspiracy theories. Yes, it's terrible. So there's a few things I would like to know really what's going on. So one of them we've talked about in Patreon before. I really want to know what's going on in the Denver airport. There's so much weird stuff going on there. I don't believe it's all a coincidence. That's too much weirdness at one point. It is, but I need to know what's going on. (laughs) (laughs) I also really need to know if aliens are real and what UFOs are. And we've talked about this on the show too before. Future alien Jesus? (laughs) I need to know if time traveling alien Jesus is real or if that is just Mandy, a it's not conspiracy. real. I I feel like with a hundred percent certainty, let me help you with this one. That's not a thing. But go ahead. Oh, let me just debunk so all anyway. your myths. I'll just do that. I'll debunk them. Go ahead. What's that? No, well, I mean, I feel like a lot of them I can't really talk about on the show because people would really know how crazy I was if I were to say like some of the ones that I really want answers on. Um And I just don't really want to make myself look that crazy in front of this many people. So aliens and the Denver airport. So to not look crazy, (laughs) you're saying aliens and the Denver airport are things you could believe in. (laughs) Oh, you know what else? Melissa, you know, oh my gosh, Melissa, have you ever heard of the Mandela effect? Okay, so wait, is this the same thing as the butterfly effect? Um, no. No, 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 no. The butterfly effect is when you change one thing in history and then it changes everything. Because oh, I saw the Mandela movie. Just... No, yeah. So the Mandela effect is basically the idea that there's like alternate universes oh, that are like. Oh my! <laughs> oh my! Okay, so it's like some people think okay that Nelson Mandela died before he actually did. <gasps> like whenever he died, people were saying like, "I swear, I've already." heard of him dying but there's like a lot of these things like this melissa i'm gonna send you an entire list of mandela effect okay and stacy needs to back me up on this because i know she loves this theory too um 
I just want. Oh wait, this I'm, is the I'm thing. I'm so happy that you can't see me on camera right now because my camera's broken. Yeah, <laughs> that's a miracle for both of us. So the Mandela thing, though, isn't that the one that was like Space Jam had somebody in it? Everybody thinks Space Jam had Shaq in it, but it was actually no, 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 no. It's not Space Jam. Okay, so okay, so oh, I'm the crazy one. one. The Go ahead. That, yeah, no. So one of the things with that is that people believe there is a movie called Kazam. That has Shaq as a genie. Okay. Yeah, no, I thought there was. Right? Yeah, I thought there was. So, yeah, so the movie Shazam supposedly doesn't really exist. And people insist that you're getting it confused with a movie called Kazam. But you're not because it's totally a different movie. And I even remember seeing this movie when I was a kid. I remember owning it on VHS. And you can't convince me otherwise. What conspiracy theory do you want to know anything about? Probably nothing. Probably nothing because you don't believe in any of them because you are not a fun person. Okay. Some would say you are correct. (laughs) Most would say you're correct. (laughs) My family would agree with you. Um, Okay. So, okay. So this is one we talked about on our trip to Atlanta. Because I did not know it was a thing. MK Ultra? You have this thing with <laughs> MK Ultra and you you say it to me very matter of fact, like I should just know about it. But MK Ultra, you think that um by you, I'm saying all of you that believe in MK Ultra, um, believe that that celebrities are like taken in a dark alley like the kid in Charlie and the Chocolate Factory and offered something and then they become crazy and sometimes they short circuit. <laughs> that is the best explanation for MK Ultra I have ever heard. Yeah, it's something like that, Melissa. What is it though? <laughs> but I feel like I feel like you're just judging all oh, of us. A hundred percent I'm judging all of you. But explain it to me because I feel like the crazy sounds even crazier when you say it. And I can't even explain it. No, you just this is a trap to make me look crazy in front of all of our listeners. I'm not falling into it, Melissa. MK Ultra is basically government mind control. Is Oh, we listened to a podcast on it. I sat still for 15 minutes and only ate lemon heads while we listened to a podcast on this. And it was very upsetting and um very confusing. <laughs> And I very respectfully sat through the entire thing and listened to it. And I still think it's crazy. So thank you guys so much for those questions. We have one more week of shows, show, next week. And um, we've already decided we're going to put up a lot of bloopers this week and extended version of our discussion on, (laughs) on conspiracy theories on our Patreon page, because we don't think you can handle it in the general feed. Um, nor should you want to. So before we go, um, we are going to be playing the promo from Bonnie with Writing About Crime. Her show is really, really great, and we hope you guys will check it out. And so uh, that promo will be played. And then we will also play the whole song, Finch song, Partners in Crime. So make sure you guys stay for the end to check those out. Andy. Melissa. Can I call you MK? Can I just call you MK? That'd be so fun. And I'll know what it You cannot. What up, MK? All right, MK, have a great week. Bye, guys. I'm Bonnie Lee, the host of Writing About Crime, a Canadian true crime podcast that looks for the story behind criminal cases. 
the people, the places, and the events that join together to create a narrative, not a scoop. I am not reading you the news. I am writing about crime. I hope you'll join me on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. playgroup date of how much you love your chickens run around your zoo all day drink my diet coke wear my sweaters no matter how hot it is but hey you stand by me anyway yeah yeah we're both just doing the best we can solving mysteries in between the Case moms you could ever want won't ever take that back on this crazy ride. I love being your partner in crime. The gym's getting us nowhere, but it's no waste of time. Anytime we're together, I smile right up to my eyes. I love my reality shows, you your rabbit holes of conspiracies in our lives. But we still get along just fine. for listening to the moms and murder podcast make sure to check back with us next week for a new episode you can also find us at momsandmurder.com where you can connect with us via social media please make sure you subscribe and give us five stars because giving us four stars would be a crime thanks so much